Ephesians chapter 4. Alright, so it's been about a month since we have been doing the spiritual gifts, so there's one passage that I was uh, reading today that really, really um, helps me quite a bit as I was just thinking about uh, spiritual gifts and thinking about tonight. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that these things kind of lined up together as I was reading my stuff today, but... In Ephesians chapter 4, you know, our, our main verse is going to be verse 11 tonight as we get into speaking gifts and what these speaking gifts are. But if you take a look at chapter 4 in verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then the whole purpose is verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, to the end that, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So you have to understand a couple of things here. The whole purpose of, as you stuff your face with cookie, the whole purpose <laughs> of spiritual gifts is what? What is it for? To glorify God, but yes, it is to glorify God by edifying the church, other Christians, other believers. It is not something for you. Now, when you operate your spiritual gifts, it is something that will edify you because you're going to learn a lot from it, but it is not for you. It's not meant for you. When you get saved and God puts you into the body of Christ and the spirit of God moves inside, he gives you a specific gift that you are supposed to use to benefit the people around you. So this is a great reminder. And so looking at this one, because this is where it starts to some of the speaking gifts, verse 11, that he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, so that we can be unified in verse 13, so that we're not tossed to and fro by, by false doctrine in verse 14. Now, these pastors, teachers, evangelists that we're going to talk about here as part of the speaking gifts, these ones specifically use their gift, and their gift is very, uh, very special within the body of Christ because in operating their gift, they are responsible for the perfecting of the saints, your perfection. So when you come in here to hear the word of God, to be taught the word of God, and you start to pull those things into your life and adopt them and start to live them out, it is meant to perfect you. So anytime the word is opened up, it is my responsibility, because I do have one of these gifts, that it is my responsibility to perfect you. I should not be teaching you things that will not perfect you in your walk. That is something that I would fail in. And so I always have to stay sensitive to try to figure out where you're at, what's going on, and what you need. Great case in point, this Sunday. I have no idea what we're going to do yet. It's a brand new series. And I'm thinking about you guys, praying about you, about what do you need? What do you need the most? And I'm asking God to help me out with that because that's part of my responsibility. But it is for your perfection for the work of the ministry. So that's the standard of perfection. For you to be perfected so that way you would actually go out and do the work. And what is the work of the ministry? Okay, teaching all nations. So being able to articulate biblical doctrine. Make disciples. Teaching other people. So to evangelize and make disciples. That's really the work. I should not be doing anything that doesn't perfect you to that work. And so there should always be something in the messages that I teach that should always be pushing you to go out there and take advantage of opportunities that you have to witness to the lost 
and to the saved about maybe something that they need in their own life, right? So that's exactly what it's talking about. And then look at verse 13. Till we come in the unity of the faith. So you working the work of God brings unity among us together. And there are times where I feel like, you know, that, that we all click together and we get it. And there's times where I feel like we don't. And I think by and large, the reason why sometimes we feel like we don't click together as a group at times is because we are not all in the work. Because if we are all in the work, we're going to be on the same page. So if you're not in the work, get in the work so that we can all be on the same page and be more unified together. But if there's something in your life where you feel like, well, I can't because I, okay, well, then you need to be perfected. You need to be perfected. So are you paying attention to the things that are being taught? Maybe there's a question that you need to ask someone, or maybe you need to meet with your disciple and say, hey, I feel really insecure about this or that when it comes to stuff in my life or having this kind of a conversation or what I don't even know what I believe about this. Maybe you need to have that kind of conversation so that way you can get perfected so you can get into the work. So as we talk about the speaking gifts, I want you to kind of keep those things in mind um, because that's really what they're for. Okay, so we already read verse 11 out of chapter four. So speaking gifts, we're going to talk about evangelism first, then we're going to talk about teaching and they really do go hand in hand. Um, and we'll be able to see why here in a minute. All right, so evangelism, evangelism. Evangelism is the spiritual ability to share the gospel boldly, easily, and creatively with nearly anyone to build and edify the whole body of Christ. So your blank there is easily, that they share the gospel boldly, easily, and creatively with nearly anyone. And of course, the purpose of the gift is to build and edify the whole body. So, Basic details. So evangelism. Evangelism basically means that you are a bearer or a messenger of good news. And that is another term for the gospel, of course. It's only mentioned three times in scripture. Um, and the guy that was only mentioned is who? Anyone know? Who's the guy that was specifically mentioned as an evangelist? Not Timothy. Not Paul. Philip. Yes. Philip is the only guy... <laughs> Wait, you're saying yes because it's part of your name? Yeah. Phillips? Okay, all right. Um, if you are named Philip, you automatically have the gift of evangelism. Um, so yeah, Philip is the only guy specifically mentioned in Scripture as having the gift of evangelism. Um, let's have someone look up these three verses. So someone do Acts 21.8. Who wants that one? You got it. Isaac, go ahead and take Ephesians. Well, we already did Ephesians 4.11. So take 2 Timothy um, 4.5 because evangelism is mentioned there. Evangelist is mentioned in Ephesians 4.11. But these are the only other two places other than Ephesians 4.11 where it's mentioned. Acts 21.8. Go ahead. Okay. For the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. Okay. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven in a Okay. So that's where he specifically called Philip the evangelist. And then 2 Timothy 4.5. Go ahead. And that was Paul talking to Timothy, and he says, do the work of an evangelist. So Timothy did not have the gift per se, but he says you're supposed to do the work of an evangelist. So when you have opportunity to evangelize, you should be doing it, whether you have the gift or not. It's not like a scapegoat. Like, well, I just don't have that gift, so I'm just not going to share the gospel. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You can't cop out on that one. It's not going to work out. 
Um, but anywho, so that's that's kind of the the deal there. Okay, the word evangelism is not found in the Bible, but it's derived from the word evangelist, which is in your Bible. And so evangelism is what an evangelist does, of course, and that makes perfect sense. So let's look at the example of Philip. So go to Acts chapter 6. Go to Acts chapter 6. So Philip was a guy, as we already saw in chapter 21 of, of the book of Acts, uh, that he was called an evangelist. But there's a couple things that we can find out because he shows up in Acts chapter 6 as well. So Philip was just an ordinary disciple, but he was used in extraordinary ways. And this is something very important that I want you guys to really get and understand. That just because uh, he was someone mentioned as an evangelist and just because he went out and he did extraordinary things doesn't mean that he was anyone special per se. I think there's a lot of people that think, well, they're just gifted to do that. And so they're just super spiritual. No, not at all. When I'm operating my gifts, it doesn't mean that I'm super spiritual. I'm just using what God gave me. But there's a lot of people that start to think this way about Christians where, uh, like, it's my responsibility to teach. I have to. It doesn't make me more spiritual than somebody else because there are other people that are not gifted to teach. And so just because they can't do it doesn't mean they're less spiritual. But there's a lot of people that think that way, which is it's just wrong. And so here's Philip. And it says in verse 1, in those days when the disciples, um, the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve, the apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and, and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, there he is, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And so these are the guys that ended up becoming the first deacons. So we find out that Philip was one of the first deacons named here in Acts chapter 6. And so, uh, under ordinary, you got Philip was one of the first deacons in the church. He was picked out of the church by the church because of his godly character. So he was someone that stood out. He walked with God. People loved what they saw with his character, and so they picked him out to be a deacon. But then the extraordinary part, and this is what we're going to see in Acts chapter 8. He used his supernatural gifts anywhere God needed him to at any time. He used his supernatural gifts anywhere God needed him to at any time. This is what makes someone extraordinary. And everybody has the potential to be extraordinary. If you just want to be ordinary, don't walk with God and don't be obedient. And you'll be ordinary. You'll just be like everybody else. But if God gives you an opportunity to do something in obedience to him, especially with something that you're gifted in, you go and do it and you will be extraordinary. You'll be able to do some great things, not because of you, but because of God opening up that door for you. And so go to Acts chapter 8. Acts 8. All right. So there's great persecution. Saul, who later we would find out would be Paul before he's converted, uh, before he receives Jesus Christ. In chapter 8, you have Philip. And you see where he uh, went down in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. So because of the persecution... He went everywhere, and he ended up going down to this specific city, and he preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out 
uh, crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And so then you have some other things unfold there. But here he goes down and he preaches Jesus Christ to them. And there's a lot of people that end up believing. And then jump down to verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet, or Isaiah. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to the chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Esaias, and said, Understandest what thou readest? All right, let me just pause there at verse 30 for a second. There's two things that you find Philip doing. Okay? What's the first thing? Right out of the gate, verse 26. What do you find right there? Into 27. Yeah. So God's like, hey, Philip, go. And what did he do? He went. I think there's a lot of us sometimes where God may open up a door and you're like, God, is that really what you want me to do? Do you really want me to do it? Um, Why would I give you this open door? Of course, I want you to talk about me. When is there ever a bad time to talk about your relationship with God? Is there ever a bad time? No, never. It's always. So if God gives you an opportunity to talk about him, and talk about your testimony and something he's doing in your life, you get after it. Don't pray about it. He gave it to you. I mean, the only prayer you should be praying is, God, help me with what I'm about to say, and then go. I mean, that's what you really need to do. If God gives you an opportunity, you go. He gave Philip an opportunity. He said, arise and go. Philip did not question it. He did not question God. He didn't say, well, God, I've, I've got this going on here in Samaria. I've got this city that I'm, I'm preaching to, and there's a lot of people that are believing. No, God said go, so you go. When he opens up that door, you go. And then secondly, the Spirit shows up again, and he tells him in verse 29, And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself. And, verse 30, what did he do? He ran. He ran, he ran to him. What if he wouldn't have run? Maybe. I mean, it doesn't say the chariot was sitting still. I mean, he could have run to catch up with the chariot. Maybe he would have missed the passage that this guy was reading because he would have moved on to the next chapter. I mean, we don't know, but he ran. And he ran to this guy and he heard what he was reading and then he asked a great question. Do you understand what you're reading? Can you, do you understand it? All right, so that's a great question to ask. And sometimes I'll open up a great door for you with somebody because they might be reading the Bible or they might go to church you know, you might ask that question. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're doing? Why do you go to church? Especially if it's someone that has kind of a mm, testimony. You might have a great opportunity to say, hey, why do you, why do you go to church? Uh, you might be surprised at their answer. And then you might be able to give your testimony. And then he says in verse 31, he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a, sleep, as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shear, no, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? 
for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And of course, this guy believes, and then he desires to get baptized. And uh, of course, verse 37 is missing in most translations today. Um, And it's an amazing verse. Because he says, what hinders me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is an amazing verse. It's just plucked out of all modern Bibles, Bibles today. So you have Philip who's being faithful. God opens up an opportunity. He goes. Gives no excuses. God says, go. And he runs. And that's a great example of this guy. So he was extraordinary. And I want you guys to just understand that you also can be extraordinary Um, if you just do what God wants you to do. I mean, you'd be amazed at some of the opportunities God will give you if you just go and just do what he asks you to do. And sometimes you move forward and you run into some locked doors and, you know, brick walls and, well, then it's obviously not the way you're supposed to go. But you have your answer. It doesn't mean you stop. I've had many opportunities where things get shut down and I get discouraged and then I quit doing anything. That's ridiculous. We should never get in that situation. So that's Philip. He's a great example. Um, Here's an interesting point, this next one. Even the apostle Paul may not have had this spiritual gift because he prayerfully asked for boldness to speak the gospels he ought to speak. So a lot of people think that Paul had the gift of evangelism, and he may have, I don't know, but he also asked that, hey, I need you to pray for me because I need to speak boldly as I ought to, which tells you that he struggled with it at times. So he may not have had the gift of evangelism. So it's something to think about. Okay, these next few points are interesting too. So consider uh, this, maybe, or considering yourself if you have this gift or not, um, or maybe you can start to see this in other people. So letter C, leading people to Christ is an incredible privilege and it is a command. The next step in God's plan is to disciple new, a new believer so that they become strong. That's exactly what it talks about in Matthew 28. Uh, this will be harder work for the gifted evangelist and they may tend to avoid this work and to stick at what they're good at, stick to what they're good at. Um, I've seen this happen before. I know a lot of people that are very, very good at sharing the gospel. They're not afraid to do it. They get up and they do it and they do a good job with it. They're very creative. They've even led people to the Lord. But when it comes to discipling, they're not the best discipler because discipling is something completely different, investing deeply into the life of another person. And so some evangelists are not good disciplers. And so that's something that, that someone that has this gift just needs to be on guard about because they may not be the best discipler. Uh, Letter D, for those having this spiritual gift, they may see the non-gifted as lazy in evangelism. And this is definitely something to be careful of um, because I think there there might be people out there that are very good at evangelism and yet they can turn around and point fingers at other people and say, yeah, you're just lazy. You're just not doing what God told you to do, which may be true, but not necessarily so because there's some things that are much easier for some people to do than others. So that's important to remember. Gifted evangelists should work hard at encouraging the non-gifted in this great work of God. And I tell you, one a great example of that is Mark Cahill. If you've ever seen anything done by Mark Cahill or read his books, um, he's amazing. You go and watch this guy. He like he's one of those guys where he'll he'll travel and he'll go to a hotel and he'll be staying the night at a hotel and he'll put his head on the pillow and he's like, I have not witnessed to enough people, and he can't go to sleep. And so then he gets up and he goes back out on the street and he just witnesses to whoever he can. And he'll go up to anybody. I mean, literally anybody. And he will evangelize and have great conversations and have great discussions with people. Um, He travels in order to encourage people on how to witness. 
He writes books about his experiences and try to encourage people to get out there and share the gospel. He never belittles anyone, ever. I like that about him. So this is something that someone that has the gift of evangelism has to be very careful about because they could really tear other, other believers down and make them feel like they're failing when really they just may not have the gift of evangelism. Uh, letter E, if character is tied to this gift, such as Phillips as a deacon, an evangelist who stumbles into sin can cause grave eternal consequences for those depending on them. Um, because God wants that person to get out there and share the gospel. So if you're falling into sin, you're being disobedient, then there are people that are not going to hear the gospel that should. So it's interesting. And then while some are gifted by God as evangelists, all of us are to do the work of an evangelist. We've already talked about that. You will know it is a gift you do not have if it is harder for you to do. So anyone can evangelize. If I were to call any one of you up right now and say, all right, I need you to give the gospel, you could do it. You might stumble, you might have a hard time, but you could do it. And there are others that can get up here and just boom, they can just do it. Or they're in the spot with their friends at school, or they're at, you know, I remember I've had weird opportunities that opened up at Starbucks where I sat down and I just had the ability to give someone the gospel at that point in time. And boom, that might happen and people can just just put it out there and they have the ability to do that. Um, I personally do, do not think that I have the gift of evangelism, um, but I know other people that do. Uh, some people in our church that I think about often are like Dave and Tammy Peters. They just are, I mean, for whatever reason, especially Tammy, like she just has like this supernatural gift that she meets with someone and, and there's like a 90% chance that person's going to come to the Lord <laughs> because she just knows how to talk with that person and God has given her an extra special dose of the ability to lead someone to the Lord. And so she's a great person to listen to and to learn from. Um, so there's people that are like that. So that's something you can consider. And so that leads me to our last question here. Can you think of anyone who might have the spiritual gift? Um, there might be some people in your life that you might think that has that gift. Maybe you think that you might have that gift. So consider that. All right, let's move on to teacher. Okay, so that's the evangelist. Now let's talk about the teacher. Okay. So we've already read the Ephesians 4, and you can look up the other verses a little bit later, but this is the supernatural, supernatural ability to communicate the content and doctrines of the Bible to edify the body. So someone that has the supernatural ability to communicate the content and the doctrines of the Bible. So to teach means to instruct, inform, communicate to another person knowledge of which he was before ignorance. That's the Webster's 1828 definition of teaching. And the Bible is clear that the evangelist, pastor, and teacher are three foundational gifts given by God to build his church. And something else that's very interesting, notice that pastors must be apt to teach, apt to teach. Look at 1 Timothy 3 real quick. 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. Okay, 1 Timothy 3, and um, so I'm going to read verse 2. Go ahead, Isaac. A bishop then must be blameless, beholden in one life, vigilant, sober, obedient, apt to teach is what it ends with there. So a bishop is another term for a pastor or another term for an elder when you cross-reference that out. And so the last thing there says apt to teach. See, a lot of people, especially within our culture, think that if you want to be a pastor, you have to be a good teacher. That's not necessary. Why? 
Can we give it a shot? Okay, that's one way to look at it. Anybody else want to add anything? Yeah? What's the definition of apt? Great question. What does it mean? <laughs> Think of apt. What is it, Isaac? Is it like inclined? Or like... Yeah, could be. Inclined to or have the ability to. But it's not the first thing on the list. What's the first thing on the list there? Um, blameless. Blameless. That's critical. You know? You can't have a pastor that's not blameless. I mean, how is he going to lead if there's junk in his life that he's not dealing with, right? Okay, but then down in the list, it's like, apt to teach. Like, he has to have the ability to teach, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he has the gift of being a teacher, per se. Anybody else want to add anything to that? Just get you to think a little bit. Yeah? Well, if it's like, so if teaching is like a gift or anything, and you're like really good at it, just like evangelism, yeah. if everybody's called to evangelize, you might have the gift, just like, you might have that gift of teaching, but like, you can still get up there and teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have the ability to, yeah, good. Yeah, I was about to say, you have to just be like able to teach. Yeah. So you have to have the ability to teach, to put content together, to explain the doctrines and, the, and biblical truths, for sure. But it's not something that you have to be like, oh my gosh, they're such a gifted teacher. Like, it doesn't have to be that way. Let me give it to you as an example. How many hours a week do I teach? Just on a basic Sunday, Wednesday? Like two, two hours. Two hours. So do I only work two hours a week? No. No. <laughs> no, I do not. I do not. There's so many things that I do. There's so many different things that I do between organization, administration, counseling, uh, working through other details, decisions that need to be made as part of our church, um, looking at, okay, there's a weakness over here. How are we going to meet that need? Uh, There's this over here. There's a problem here. How are we going to... I mean, there's so many different things. Like, yeah, I have the gift of teaching, but that's not all that I do. So you can have someone who's a pastor who is an excellent pastor but an okay teacher because a pastor means shepherding. And we're going to get into that next week as we talk about the spiritual gift of shepherding and being a pastor. They have the ability to take care of a group of people in order to mature them and to grow them up and to give them what they need when they need it. It's the same thing. You know, you can have someone who's really good at shepherding, but they're terrible at teaching you how to shepherd. That makes sense. Okay. So, all right. So there's that. Okay. Just just as a side note. Okay. So there's two kinds of teachers. Letter C. There's individual And that is each person is enabled by God to teach others individually. So God has called everyone to be a teacher on an individual level. He has called you to go and to make disciples, to teach all nations. That is something you can do. So you may not be a public teacher, but you can teach one-on-one. Anyone can teach somebody something one-on-one. And then the next one is the extraordinary, and that some of us are gifted by God to teach the Bible publicly. Publicly. Now, this is an interesting passage. Go to Exodus 4. Exodus 4. So Exodus will be found in your Old Testament, Exodus chapter 4. This is interesting. All right. Okay, verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord... O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since, 
Thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. So you see, this was a supernatural gift given to Moses by God to be a good teacher. Because he's like, I can't do this. I am not a good teacher. I can't speak well. God's like, come on, dude. I made your mouth. I'm telling you to go, and I'm giving you the ability to do it. And so he says, go, and I'll be with your mouth, and I'll show you what you need to say. So that's how you know it's supernatural. So that's an interesting passage right there in Exodus 4. Okay, so a teacher is able to teach the Bible as a whole book and or break it down to individual paragraphs or verses and give practical applications. New material doesn't necessarily originate from someone that, that has the gift of teaching. They are simply, they are simply, that's wrong. They are simply able to explain and expound with relative ease what the Bible says. So they have the ability to explain the Bible. It's not someone who necessarily creates new content. They just have the ability to teach well, okay? And this is interesting thought. Someone having a doctorate in Bible will be less capable of teaching the Bible to a group than a supernaturally gifted man or woman that God has given this gift to in his church. This is very important. This is not about intellect. There's a lot of people that are smart that cannot understand the things of the Bible. And so someone that is given a supernatural gift of teaching, they have the ability to explain this really, really well. And there's three examples here. Of course, Jesus was an excellent teacher. Um, I wish we could spend a lot of time going into some of the details of some of these. Um, but he was someone who, man, he really just did a really good job. We'll look at one of them. Go over to uh, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. When in doubt, Jesus is the best at like everything. So, Do it all. <laughs> yeah. Mark chapter 1. No. Although he did need disciples. That's so. just being nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure there's more to the story than just that. Okay. Look at verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Which I think is very interesting. So you have a scenario where he goes in to teach. He has no official training by the pharisaical system. And he's able to teach them in such a way where they're like, oh my gosh, this guy, he has the ability to teach. And he's teaching with authority. Like he's not teaching like the scribes. <laughs> That's pretty intense. And I'm sure those guys felt real good about themselves after that one was over. But that's someone that has the spiritual gift of teaching for sure. Apollos was known as someone who was a great teacher in Acts 18. Uh, he definitely had a gift of teaching. And then Paul definitely had the gift of teaching as well. He was a great teacher. Uh, the way he was able to put things together from the Old Testament as he's preaching messages to the Jews was just astounding. He did a great job with that. All right, so here's some things to consider. There is hard work to be done for the teacher all throughout the church in various ways. And some avoid using their gift because of personal laziness. Personal laziness. When you're a teacher... Man, there are certain things that, um, that like I have to do uh, when I'm teaching and even things that I'm responsible for at the church that uh, I really realize that, man, this is a lot of work when you're coming to organizing curriculum. And I remember I would go through and spend hours 
looking over the curriculum that we would do for VBS and say, okay, we're not going to do this. Let's do this instead. Or instead of doing this, let's do this instead. Or there's this over here. Let's rearrange this. Or here's what we're going to do for, I remember when I did youth camp uh, twice, uh, two years in a row. And I'm like, okay, I have to have seven messages that all flow together about this particular topic. And I'm starting to figure out how to, I mean, it takes hours and hours and hours to do that. But I have to do that. I must do that. I have to. It's part of my responsibility. And if there's somebody else that I see that has the gift of teaching, it's part of my responsibility to try to help them really refine their skills and their abilities to do that as well. And that's why we have several different teaching classes in the Bible Institute so that we can practice a lot of these things uh, throughout the Bible Institute. So, But there's a lot of hard work, and there are people that are definitely lazy about it. Go to Romans 12. I want you to see this passage. Romans 12. There are some truly great teachers out there, but they're just lazy and they need to get to work because the body's suffering because they're not willing to do their part. All right, Romans chapter 12. All right, this one's an interesting passage. Okay, verse 6. All right, so talking about in verse 5 that we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. So we belong to each other. We're there for each other. Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. And it kind of keeps going on. What's interesting here is that in verse 7, it says, Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. So those are directly connected. What does he mean there when he says, Let us wait on our ministering and teaching? What does that mean? To think upon. Nope. I'll just shoot that one down real quick. Nope. Is that it? Good guess though. Is it the traditional wait that you're thinking of? Like, okay, should I wait or should I go? No, it's not that one. It's not that one. Patience. Nope. Mm -mm. Um, Is it to like um wait for teachers? I'm like I'm gonna rise him up and uh uh-uh. nope yeah. nope 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 Isaac what do you got uh uh-uh. uh okay now I'm just walking around but like sort of nurture and like build them up like okay never mind I was saying, okay like, uh, like a yes like a waiter yes it is like a waiter that's where that term comes from what does a waiter and a waitress do yeah they serve how do they serve yes yeah taking their order first no it's true no it's true so a waiter comes to the table and says, okay, what would you like? What do you need? And then they take care of things. And a good waiter and a waitress, what do you notice about them? They keep the cups full. They keep the cups full. You also notice that they're not even there. Like, they work so hard that they're not even there. You know what I mean? Like, they're such a good waiter or waitress that you don't even have to ask for a refill. They just do it. They just see that you need something. They anticipate. Those are the best. You don't even notice that they're around because they're just taking care of the people that they're around. They are thinking completely about the people that they're serving. So when it comes to ministry, when it comes to teachers, that is the type of attitude they need to have. They need to be like a waiter or a waitress, that they are completely and totally selflessly serving, thinking about the needs of the other person rather than themselves. That's part of their gift. That's what they're supposed to do. So it's interesting that he uses that term wait on when it comes to ministering and when it comes to teaching in this context. And people that are lazy will not wait on people in that fashion. They're not going to care about people because they're so selfish and self-centered that they're going to spend their life for themselves and they're not thinking about other people. And so that's something to consider. So it's hard work. 
and people may not do it because of personal laziness. Gifted teachers, letter F, must remain teachable, teachable and humble and guard against their own hypocrisy. This is something that is, I despise this about myself. Um, and this means understanding but not applying it. There's so many different things that I've taught that I know that I don't keep perfectly. And so I always need to keep that in check because just because I may understand something or I might be able to articulate something doesn't mean I'm being obedient to it. And I want to be honest. If there's something that's going on that I'm teaching that I'm not being obedient with, I want to, I want to share that. I have to. I can't be a hypocrite about it because teachers have the ability to explain very, very well, but they may not be actually living it out. And then letter G, gifted teachers must guard against seeing the Bible only in the light of their teaching gift because of stuff that they've broken out into outlines, seeing how things apply to others. So the Bible must remain personal to them, very personal. It's hard sometimes for me um, to just sit down and read my Bible. It's, it's, I've had to exercise myself to do that because when I'm reading my Bible, I'm like, oh, that is so good. There's this biblical principle. Oh, this would be good. We could do this. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to read my Bible for me <laughs> because I need it. And I can't, I need to get out of that teacher mode. And, and that can be hard for me to do at times. Um, so that's something to consider. And so how do you know if you have this gift? Well, try teaching to a group. That's one way you can figure it out. Try, try teaching. Maybe you might have an opportunity. I know in the guys uh, Bible study, I want you guys to have the ability to teach a little bit. Um, the only way that I found out that this could be something that God may want me to do in some capacity whether I did it like I was working full-time at a job and then I was a leader of the junior high ministry for some time. The reason why I felt that this was something that God would want me to do is because of opportunities that I had when I was in 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade to teach the Bible. Even if it was only for five minutes, I was given an opportunity and I went after it. And then these next few questions are really good. When you do, when you do teach, how well does it go in general? How do you feel it went? And what do, what do other people say? Did you get good feedback from people? Are there things that you taught them that they didn't think about before? God may have given you that gift of teaching. Um, and then thinking about other people who display this gift, because there's a lot of times where um, looking at them and seeing it, those things may be the same in your life might show you that you have the gift of teaching. But you need to get out there and need to teach. If you have the opportunity to do it, you need to do it. Um, so that way you can find out if you have it or not. Because this is an important gift. The church needs good teachers. And there's a lot of people that are teachers that shouldn't be teachers out there today. They think they have the gift, but they don't. Um, and I can share a few stories about that one, but I'll just keep it at that. Okay, so those are the two gifts. So what do you guys think? Feedback? What do you think? Questions? Yeah. That's okay. Okay, so the word of knowledge would be the ability to recall certain information at certain times for certain circumstances. So I think that sometimes they could, they could be intertwined together because I think that when you're teaching individually, um, something may come up that while you're talking that then you recall something that could help in that circumstance to teach. Uh, but not necessarily. It could just be... You know, people that may not have the word of knowledge you have just need to study their Bible more. And the more they study the Bible, the more they know about the Bible that will then help them out in that individual type scenario. But that's a good question because I do think there are some people that may have both when they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is the gift of teaching applied on the individual level, or is it only applied on the like the group level? No, it's both. It's definitely both. Yeah. Um, well, like, could somebody have it where they're really good with individuals but not good with groups? Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, when we're talking about Ephesians 4, when it says pastors and teachers, that context is church-wide. So there are people that I just think through experience can become very, very good at an individual level because everybody's called to do it. So I think God in some way, shape, or form has given everyone the ability to articulate biblical truths on an individual level. I do believe that. I just think that people need to just get out there and do it. Um, And through experience, you can learn, okay, I'm not going to approach it that way. I'm going to approach it this way. And there's some people that have to take a long time to learn that. Like I know several people within our church, one I'm thinking of in particular, that I mean, this guy, I mean, it's taken him like almost 10, 15 years. And there's certain things that he's really starting to get now. And it's not because he's a failure. He just didn't understand things before. And through the process of just living out his life and making a whole host of mistakes, he's starting to really learn some discernment. He's starting to learn how to teach and how to articulate. And he's becoming much and much better at it. Um, So I think God has given everybody the, the gift of teaching on an individual level. Because it's simply sharing information that you understand and and you have a unique way of articulating things to someone else that might be in a similar situation. So just because you're an introvert or you might have past baggage or I'm trying to think of other things that might come up um, or you just might be shy or, you know, the thing is, is that whatever you are, first of all, accepting that and understanding that's how God has made you. And secondly, there are other people that are like you. And so you can communicate to other people that are in a very similar situation as you. Um, but then also knowing that there are certain things you may not be able to minister to them in because they might have the same weaknesses as you have. So there's some limitations there too. So it's really kind of thinking through all those variables. So, yeah. Andrew. I'm still trying to find what God has for me in the gift. Could you please tell me what mine is? No. <laughs> Is there more like me? <laughs> oh, I, I think so. Okay. Very rare. Very Still learning, rare. guys. <laughs> yeah. Still trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever gift you have, it ain't in the scriptures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. I really want it. <laughs> I really want it now. <laughs> like Simon the Sorcerer. Help pay anything. <laughs> All right, what else we got? Any other questions? Okay. All right, so I know on the level of teaching, some of you guys still might be like, you know, I don't know if I have that gift or not. Take advantage of opportunities. If you have opportunities to speak, like such as the testimonies, yeah, about I would do it. Um, I will tell you the first time that I taught, I was a nervous wreck. Uh, I was in eighth grade, and I stood in front of my peers, and I gave a, just a quick five, ten-minute devotional. I was so stinking nervous about it, but I knew that I needed to do it. So I went and I did it, and I got great feedback. And so then that encouraged me. I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is something that I could do again if I have an opportunity. Um, but I got good feedback from people, and then I just kind of kept going with it. But I had no idea this would be something that I would do one day until I began to do it. And there's a lot of things like that, that until you actually use it and you get out there and you do it, like, for example, get into Vacation Bible School. That is a great venue to get into a scenario where – Hey, am I good at teaching or not? I don't know. Get into a group. Teach one lesson. 
even if it totally bombs, teach one lesson because then you can be able to say, man, this that was kind of rocky, but I got good feedback from people. And so maybe this is something I need to keep working on or that did not go well at all. I do not have the gift of teaching, you know, and it's just things you find out. So don't be afraid to fail. Sometimes through failure, you find out what you're actually supposed to do. And there's a lot of people that just won't take the risk. They'd rather be comfortable than figure out what God wants them to do. Which is kind of weird. Take some risks. The first time I did it at Arabica, mm-hmm. with everybody, yeah. I was scared crapless. <laughs> yeah. Maybe even quite literally. Literally. <laughs> like, what's Arabica? Yeah, I know. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. All the leaders will know that place is. Everyone else like, nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Okay, anything else? Okay, fantastic. All right, someone pray, and we'll get out of here. Someone different. Isaac. Someone different. Isaac hasn't prayed yet. Oh, Isaac, I thought it was Noah. I just no. saw him out here. <laughs> no, no. no. Okay. I know you'll yell at me after class. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only reason I pray, because he's going to yell at me. <laughs> uh, he yells at me when I pray. No, just oh, yeah. sure about it. Do you know what I'm going to stay in this room? Getting a room here safe tonight, and I pray for everyone that couldn't make it, that um, they can just still have a spiritual recharge instead of the rest of the week or Sunday. And, uh, Pray that you can just help us to like discern where our spiritual gift is and just to be bold and try new things out with what uh, left of high school we have. And I pray for Matea that you can just uh, keep her safe and healthy. And um, pray for the rest of the week until Sunday that uh, this would just be a good encouragement. And, uh, Jesus, amen. amen.